Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. You would take out the Pew Bible in front of you and join me in Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. I'll give you a moment to pull that up, either on your phone or from the Pew Bible in front of you. So hear with me now the words of the Lord. Jesus said, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he was being tormented, and he lifted up his eyes, and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And he called out, Father Abraham. I lost my place. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the top of his finger into the water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames." But Abraham said, child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things, and now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us is a great chasm that has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us." And the rich man said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so they will not also come into this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, Neither will they be convinced, even if someone raised from the dead. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Oh, holy Lord. We read your words. We hear your words. But Lord, make them not be words on a page that our eyes just glance over or that we say in our mind's eye, but let them be words that are anchored deep within our hearts. Let us hear them with a depth of understanding that we hear them not just deep in our hearts, but deep in our souls so that we would be transformed by them. And in being transformed by them, that we would leave this time together, this time with you, not as hearers of your word, 
but as doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. 22 years ago, I had the opportunity to go to the island of Cuba, the country of Cuba, and more specifically to the little island south of the main island called the Isle of Youth. It was a second such trip that I'd taken as a part of a conference building team to go to one of our Methodist churches that was there. They were growing and we were able to help them expand their sanctuary first and then their fellowship hall to work alongside the members of this faithful congregation despite all of the oppression they'd received with communism. And this being my second trip, as I got to the airport and took the little bus over from the airport into the village where the church was, we got to see friendly faces, familiar faces, friends that we had met just the year before. Remember, there was this one young man, I was, I was about 30 years old, and there was this one young man who was, ah, he was his late 20s, not quite 30. And I came up to him, he was a teacher in the community, and I said, oh my goodness, it's so good to see you again, how are you? This was his response. I am so tired of being hungry. I am so tired of being hungry. At that time, because Cuba, following the collapse of the Soviet Union, Cuba was really on its own economically. We still had the embargo going on. We still had the trade deficits. Cuba was still trying to make it on its own as a communist country. And so they were rationing food. Each family, each month, got 20 pounds of rice, 20 pounds of soy, 5 pounds of sugar, several pounds of coffee. And that was it. The rest of it they needed to procure on their own. They made about $20 a month was, your, was the wage of a Cuban at the time. So with that $20 a month, they would have to go into the market or to barter for things to find anything that was fresh or other than that. Now, in Nueva Jarona, the town right there on the Isle of Youth, it was a seaside village. So fortunately, they were in sort of the citrus section of, of Cuba, so they could grow their own fruits. So every area had behind the houses or the apartments, they had fruit trees and they could go fishing. So they had a little bit that they could grow and supplement, but most of their food beyond the ration was barter or trade or buy, even if it existed in the grocery store and they could afford it. I am so tired of being hungry. So for two weeks, we worked side by side together, Cubans and Americans, mixing concrete on the ground. And by mixing concrete on the ground, I mean, I'm talking about with shovels. And I was just telling the nine o'clock crowd, everybody there, all the shovels in Cuba were about to the size of my waist. And if you're trying to do back-breaking work, that doesn't work out so well. I got smart this trip. I brought the gringo shovel, like one that you can buy at Lowe's. Now, you ought to imagine getting that checked through the airport and I'm sure that they were all eyeing who could get the gringo shovel when he left. I let them sort that out. But me and my friend, we mixed concrete side by side. We poured concrete out of buckets and wheelbarrows and troweled it ourselves day in and day out. And for those two weeks, he ate well. Because the food that we bought or that was bought for us to feed the team, we also shared with those that worked with us. 
knowing full well that all that would change when we left at the end of the two weeks. As you can tell, I still hear those words. I am so tired of being hungry. And those words were a challenge, and it sort of shaped the way that I look at the world, this idea of the world in need. And so sort of armed with that in my mind, it's sort of the ethos of how we get to this idea of being hearers of the words and not doers of the word, or being doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. I'm so tired of being hungry. So you take those words and you take Jesus' text today. Now, to understand sort of the context of where this fits in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is on a roll. Jesus is doing a whole series of teachings, and sometimes there's a jump from one to the next, and other times there's really just not a transitional sentence at all. Think of these as sort of the precursor to the TED Talks. Jesus is just rolling these teachings out, and so in today's passage, the one that we just read in Luke 16, verses 19 through 31, it's a passage that's sort of troublesome for us, isn't it? I mean, you've got a rich man, and you've got Lazarus, this poor man, and He's a beggar. Lazarus has been outside the gates of this man's house for years. And he's been ignored. Well, they both die. And Lazarus goes to heaven. And the rich man, he goes to Hades, the lake of fire, the hot spot. And he goes there, and what we begin to find is that the veil between heaven and earth, or heaven and hell, the veil between heaven and hell is very thin. It's almost as if you will, it's like the veil between a Chuck E. Cheese children's Christmas or children's party and anywhere else, right? If you've been to those, you know what I'm talking about. You look at that door and go, when can I get out? Let me free. Well, that's what's on this man. He is there. He is suffering, this rich man. He is suffering in Hades, and he looks across that veil, and he sees a far away. He sees Abraham and Lazarus with him, and he reaches out, and he says, Father Abraham, would you just please let Lazarus dip his finger in the water and just let the water drip on my tongue? Give me some relief. And Abraham says, you had your chance when life was good. And there's no way out now. And the man pleads. He says, well, if that's the case, I guess I'll accept my fate. I'll be, you know, I'll, I'll grow up. I'll accept it. But please send Lazarus to my brothers so they don't suffer the same way. And Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets. If they don't heed those words, then nothing will work. Now, folks, let's be honest. That's harsh, isn't it? I mean, it's a little bit of that idea of turn or burn or you reap what you sow. It seems to infer that in the case of Lazarus, the poor for their suffering get a pass to heaven. Or maybe if we hear and don't accept God's word that maybe there's nothing for us either. But what I really want us to deal into is think about this. Maybe what's really going on here is this idea that it's not just enough to hear and accept the word, it's how we actually use the word. Maybe that's the lesson for us, it's to hear the word, to accept the word, but to live it out. That's what this is really about, I think, when you really get down to what Jesus is teaching in this text, this is what it's about. It's not just to hear the word, it's not to accept the word, but it's to live the word through our lives. 
So the case of this story, what it's really asking us are three questions. When we think about ourselves and the needs of others in the world around us, we think about this, do we have the right relationship with God that we realize that we're all children of God? That's the first question. The second question is, do we love our brothers and sisters? And the third one is, do we seek, heed, seek, hear, and heed the word of God? So I think if the rich man were to speak to us, I think if he could holler to his brothers that they could hear on the other side of that veil, that's what he would say. He says, folks, he says, brothers, he says, sisters, friends, we're children of God. Love your brothers and sisters. Seek, hear, and heed the word. He implores us to this kind of a lifestyle, to this kind of living. So when we look at the text, we realize what's happening here. He reaches out, he sees Abraham, he says, Father Abraham, because Abraham was the father of the Israelite people. He says, Father Abraham. And what does Abraham say back to him? Some texts, uh, the one that we read today said, said child. Others will say son, but there becomes this idea that there is a relationship. There's a familiar relationship, parent-child between God and us. And so do we see that in our own lives? Do we recognize that? Do we claim that? And if we claim that as the relationship, parent and child, divine parent and earthly child, do we then take the commandment seriously? Remember in the 10, one of those commandments is honor your father and mother. Do we honor our divine parent? Those are two questions that we should probably chew on this week. Probably when you're taking your walk or when you're reading your Bible, when you're praying is, do you see God as a divine parent and do you honor that parent? But for now, let's just assume that we all agree, all of us in this room, all of us in worship, all of us online, that we all agree that God is our divine parent. And then if that's the case, as you start to look around this room, or those of you online, as you look at the camera shots that are here, then that begins to realize that we are all children of God. And then if we are all children of God, then that makes us what? All related. We're all family. Now, families begin to be interesting when you think about it, right? I mean, take my family, for example. My grandmother was one of eight siblings. So those siblings, some had kids, and those kids had kids. That's my generation. And then my generation, some of those have had kids. And so once a year, we're spread out all across North Carolina and who knows where else. But once a year, we try to get together over at my cousin's house. It's usually the Saturday before Easter. When we get together, there's all these cousins. And you have to really have the family tree because when you've got eight to start and then it starts to divide out, that's a lot of cousins. A lot of spouses of cousins. And so when we get together only once a year, some of us, we see each other on a regular basis, so we know each other by name, we know each other by sight, we know what we're up to, but others, we don't see each other every year. So now, remind me who you are again, and you're so-and-so's, who is such-and-such, -and, and you're doing this and that. But at the end of the day, what matters most is that the thing is this, nonetheless, even if we haven't seen each other in three or four years we know that when we're there at that house on that day, that we are all related. We are cousins, and there's a chart that we can draw the bloodlines and connect it. So go back to this idea of we are all family. We are all children of God. 
So look at the fabric of this congregation. Look around at the faces that you see in here today. Or later today, look around your neighborhood, the faces that you see there, or at school, or at work, or in the community, or even what you see on the national news or the global news. Guess what? Every face you see is a part of your family. We will never meet a person who is not in the family of God. And if that's the case, then it begs the question that if the rich man had just seen Lazarus outside of his gate, and if he'd seen him outside of his gate and saw him as a child of God, would it have changed the way he behaved? Would it have changed the way he acted? Would it have changed the rest of the story? So let's think about this idea of family. Let's extrapolate that a little bit further. If a member of your blood family, whoever you got, whether it's one like mine or yours is smaller or even larger, if a member of your blood family, a cousin called you up and said, I am so tired of being hungry, what would you do? I'm going to bet you, you'd do something, right? You would do something. So think about the church in Nueva Horona. Here is a child, here's a member of my family that says to me, I'm so tired of being hungry. And so for two weeks, we did something. Yes, we worked side by side, but we ate side by side. We ate together. And some of us beginning to realize that this idea of I'm so tired of being hungry, really anchoring ourselves, we didn't eat as much fainting that we weren't hungry. Because believe you me, some of us could miss a few meals, me included. But if we didn't eat all that was prepared for us, there was extra food, there were leftovers. And believe you me, leftovers didn't make it to the next meal. They were shared amongst those in need. Now, I'm not telling you that to sort of puff me up like I'm a saint because I'm not. But I'm telling you a story because what we realize is in that short term, in that moment, there was something we could do about that. But we knew deep in our souls that that was only going to solve the problem for two weeks. My friend was going to look at me for two weeks and not say, I'm so tired of being hungry, because for two weeks, that wasn't the case. But after we left, it would come right back. And because of geopolitics and everything else, there wasn't a solution that we could think of, but those words haven't left my ears for reason, because I think God is working on me with that. I haven't left my ears for a reason so that my eyes were opened. That we can do better in our neighborhoods around us. That we can do better in the world around us. That if we truly love our family, that we need to roll up our pants and wade into the stream and figure out what the solution is. It's like this Desmond Tutu said years ago, there comes a point where we need to just stop pulling people out of the river and go upstream and find out why they're falling in. to go upstream and find out why they're falling in. And so friends, that's why our missions committee has really embarked on this idea of looking at the way that we do missions here to really focus our work and our resources. I mean, there's a myriad of issues that just face this community alone. And they said, we'd like to address all of them, but we can't do it all. So they're focusing on hunger and health and housing. Because they feel like if we just start with those three, that's a place to begin. 
And then of all the myriad of agencies and organizations that do that work, they're focusing on mission partners that have success, not only with pulling people out of the river, but working upstream so that they don't fall in. Working with organizations that have the vision and the desire to go upstream. As they delve and begin to build those relationships with those partners, we want to go beyond just sending them money. We've got great financial resources, and it's good that we send them, but there's yet more that we can do because we've got hands to go along with our dollars. That's the call of a disciple, is to be hands-on, to be hands and feet, to be doers. Now, we have a vision as we think about next year and what we want to do in our budget. We have a vision, a vision to go our mission giving so that we can give even more dollars to these organizations to make a deeper impact. But we're also, alongside the dollars, Meg has developed a list of, I think it's 29 opportunities that we can do hands-on work with these agencies. Now, some of that work is truly pulling people out of the river, but some of it is doing the work upstream so that people don't fall in. These opportunities are things that you and I can do, but that we can do with our families, with our children as well. And the reason why I do this is because if we truly want to anchor on this idea of what is in this text, if we want to love our family, our brothers and sisters, the people that we see, our cousins in the family of God, then we've got to want the best for them. We've got to do missions in a better way. We've got to keep them from falling in the water. So that no one looks at us and says, I'm so tired of being hungry. In just a couple of weeks, Meg is going to be teaching a class on Wednesday nights called When Helping Hurts. You may have seen this advertised. It's not too late to sign up for it. That's part of why we started it mid-season. So those of you that took things earlier in the year could start something new. Or those that had to figure out what the fall was going to look like, now's your chance. Because this idea of when helping hurts... It's this idea of a new format of missions. It's a way to build relationships with people. A way to provide better care to have a deeper impact. It begins to look at mission work in three dimensions. Relief, that's the pulling people out of the river. Rehabilitation, development, so that people can stand on their own two feet and don't get in the water. It's more holistic. It has a lasting impact. And I think about this rich man, and I think about the conversation he's having with Abraham and looking at Lazarus, and I realize, what would happen if not only he'd seen Lazarus as his family member, what would have happened if he'd actually gone to him, if he loved him as such? The suffering that they experienced for both of them could have been avoided. In the parable at the end, when the rich man tells Abraham, send Lazarus to my brothers. Send them so they don't repeat the same mistakes. What's the response he gets? They have Moses and the prophets. See, it's really a call to heed God's word. It's already in front of them. Heed the word. You don't need someone to tell you. It's right there in front of us. Friends, we've got the same word. It's right here in front of us. We've got the same word. We hear the same warning in our text today to seek, to hear, and to heed God's word because it's about our families. It's about loving our brothers and sisters. But if we're really honest with each other, we know that in here, 
But often what we do in here is we become very inwardly focused. We become like the rich man who never saw Lazarus outside his gates, never saw what he was rushing with, never saw the sores, never heard the cry for the hungry. Instead, we focus on our needs, on our wants, our money, our statements like, I want to be fed, I want this, I want that. It's my agenda, not God's agenda. And we use too many I statements. We are inwardly focused. But the calling of the text... And the mission of the church is an outward focus. Friends, it's an outward focus. To follow Jesus, to make disciples, to transform the world, that takes place, some of it takes place in the walls of the church, but it's so that it can be done outside the walls of the church. Words that people have used over the years about the church, they call a church an equipping station. It's a place to come to learn and to grow but then to be commissioned, that means to be prepared to be sent forth. Or maybe it's a healing station, it's a place to, to come for support and recuperation and healing. Why? So that we can go out as healed people to the world. Or it's a launching pad to go forth to serve. See friends, the work of the church, some of it takes place here in the walls, here on the campus. But the real work of the church has always been done so that it would take place the bulk of it out there in the mission field. And I think about the rich man. If he didn't had an outward focus, if he looked beyond the walls of his compound, if he looked just outside the gates, he would have seen Lazarus. And their lives would have been changed forever. So as you consider this text this morning, as you consider what is God's calling you to do, what brought you here, what you're hearing from the worship. Look at the words acquired just saying, it's a candle before, ubi caritas, where charity prevails. It's a Latin word for love. Consider this morning that all of the world is a part of our family that we love our family and that we are called to seek, hear, and heed the word of God for the sake of our family. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.